Hi everyone, I'm Tara Mont, and you're listening to the Trust and Thrive with Tara Mont podcast. I created this podcast along with my blog and brand to hopefully inspire others to live their most authentic life. I truly believe that we all have the power to live a life we love, and to do so, it's so important to be in tune with ourselves and be open to growing and evolving. I believe that once we can trust ourselves and our vision, that's when we can thrive. So with this podcast, I plan to discuss all things to do with self-reflection, personal growth, mindsets, and self-belief, all aspects that affect us in our everyday life. If you feel connected to my message and want to listen more often, I will be sharing one podcast a week, so make sure to subscribe and stay tuned. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. In this week's episode, we are touching on the topic of narcissism. At least for me, when I think of narcissism, I my mind personally jumps to thinking of someone in a relationship. So for example, like a partner or even a friend. But in this episode, we actually touch on having a narcissistic parent. And this guest actually talks about her mother and explains how she's been able to heal from that how she's been able to understand that it was narcissistic behavior and to heal from that. So to introduce this week's guest, her name is Roxana Safdia. Roxana is the founder of The Black Sheep Survives. She has been consulting victims and survivors of abuse since 2016. She has earned her Master of Science in Conflict Analysis and Resolution, and she now lives in Houston, Texas with her husband and nine-year-old twins. She is an abuse and trauma coach, and you can visit her at theblacksheepsurvives.com or at theblacksheepsurvives on Instagram. I will make sure to include all the info in the description of this episode, as always. And to be honest, I was recently thinking about how it's Mother's Day this Sunday. And even though a lot of us love our mothers and we have so much love for them, I think it's so important to also acknowledge those who may not have the best relationship with their mothers or who may not even have their mothers around or who may have lost their mothers in the past. And so I think that's important to acknowledge. It can be a hard time for many. Something about like Mother's Day and Father's Day can be very triggering for people who've lost their parents or who don't have a positive relationship with them. I just want to make sure that everyone feels included and knows that you're not alone. Maybe try to stay away from social media on those days or do something that makes you feel good, or talk to others who are going through the same thing, because I promise you, you are not alone. And so I really enjoyed this episode, because like I said, I think a lot of people jump to thinking of a boyfriend or girlfriend when it comes to narcissistic abuse and emotional abuse, but it can happen within your family, with people who are supposed to love and care for you. And it's not necessarily at all saying they're bad people or they mean harm, but a lot of us haven't worked through our own wounds and trauma, and a lot of You know, unfortunately, parents project their trauma and unresolved issues onto their own children. And so Roxana opens up and she shares her story. It may be hard for you to hear. It may be hard to understand that this can be someone's relationship with their parents or they may not have one at all. But to know that, you know, we're not shaming mothers or fathers or anyone. But the reality is sometimes we have to set emotional boundaries and that can even lead to not having someone in your life. And as hard as that may be, I wanted to share this episode specifically on this week as well to remind you that you're not alone and that there are people who are struggling, who have grieved, 
what they wish their parents were like or their siblings or their loved ones or their partners and they can come out stronger like Roxana has and she helps so many people now. So I hope you enjoy this episode. I appreciate Roxana's vulnerability. She is so open. She is so raw and is definitely a powerful interview. So I hope you enjoy it. Let's get right into it with Roxana. Hi, Roxana. Thank you so much for being on the show. Hi, Tara. Thank you for asking me to be here. Of course. Can you start off telling us about yourself and what you do? So um, I'm Roxana Saftia. I run the Black Sheep Survives. And um, I started this page out of loneliness, honestly. I needed a space to just authentically be myself. And I quickly realized that I wasn't the only one. So a lot of people started uh, engaging with my message and uh, it was been nice. And so what inspired you to start your page? Did you feel like there weren't that many resources that you could relate to and it was helpful to maybe connect with others online? Yeah, that's exactly what motivated me to start online. I needed a place more so not to just spread uh, whatever it is that I thought, but it was more like expressing myself. That was more important to me just because I had those restrictions in real life. So I quickly realized that other people needed this sort of space to engage and felt like they were a part of something. And it just grew from there, honestly. It really did. It grew organically and it's been really, really, it's been a really healing space for a lot more people besides myself. That's amazing. I feel like Instagram, especially now with all the accounts I see, they're so relatable and helpful to people. And it's almost like, you know, I'm not saying it is a replacement for therapy at all, but it's a great start for people to even realize that other people are experiencing what they're going through. And so I know your page is overall on um, narcissism and getting over um, an abusive relationship. So can you define narcissism for someone who isn't aware of what it means? Yeah. So I quickly want to say that uh, when I first started my the Black Sheep account, there wasn't a lot of things out there about narcissistic moms, specifically narcissistic moms. So I felt the need that I wanted to express my own experience and then actually bring in um, my experience background and merge those two together. There wasn't a lot of that when I first started on Instagram. So that's why I feel like a lot of people gravitated towards my space. Because a lot of people, there was a lot of content of, oh, you just have to put up with your mom or thank God that you have your mom. So sort of like that toxic positivity. And I pretty much was one of the first ones to started talking about the reality of what it's like to have a narcissistic mom in your life and what that does to you. Because you start creating all these like mixed emotions that you have deep inside. You have like the society pressures of, honor thy mother and then you have your own desires of setting boundaries and creating a a healthy space for you and your family so it's very divisive but narcissism is one of those things where it's a personality disorder so people are created a lot of people there's misinformation out there about how narcissism is people are born like this but in reality people are created through generational, or maybe they picked it up from somebody who was influential in their life. So if they can get away with certain things, they will. And it's one of those things that they learn through modeling. 
I'm so I so appreciate you being honest about that. Do you think it was a struggle at first? Because I think when it comes to abusive relationships, people say, okay, well, you can get out of that. But it's obviously very different if it's someone in your family or who is in your life. So how would you compare that in the sense of, you know, you can't just deal with it? Yeah, well, that this is the most disconnecting part that a lot of people and my clients, I actually coach. So I see a lot of people coming to me and they're like, oh, my gosh, you know, if this was an abusive boyfriend or if I would tell anybody, you know, if I don't say, oh, this is my mom or this is my dad or this is my sibling, this is a boyfriend. Let's replace the name with boyfriend. A lot of people would just be like, why are you in that relationship? Why are you tolerating that? Can I help you? Like, what do you need? You know what I mean? So people would offer support. Um, but when you change the label and you say, well, it's my mom or it's my brother or it's my cousin, then people are like, oh, wait, oh, you should try to work that out, right? So a lot of people feel like they open up to people who are just not understanding what the situation is. And people go through therapy, like years of therapy, years of trying to find something through books or something. And and nobody has the answers or the validation of whatever it is that they're going through. And I'm not saying that therapy is not helpful. Therapy 100% is helpful. But the problem is that not a lot of therapists know about narcissism. And if they do, they kind of brush it off like pish posh. It's not a big deal. And it is because this stuff really, you carry this stuff all your life. And Mm -hmm. it it needs to be priority. This is trauma. This is a root of trauma. Mm -hmm. I completely agree that when it is family, especially, I think it's very common for people to say, oh, well, you can work through that or it's not as big of a deal as if it was a boyfriend or girlfriend going through this for some odd reason, from what I've seen, at least. And so how what are some even examples of behaviors that someone can notice? Um, I think it's hard for people to tell when it's supposed to be someone they love and who loves them back and who cares for them. So whether it is a parent or a sibling or just someone in the family they're close to, how can they even tell that it may be narcissistic behavior? Yeah, uh, this is really, really hard, especially if you grew up under generational abuse and narcissistic abuse, because everything looks normal to you. Everything is normalized. Little things here and there that might bother you your intuition is like oh something's not right there it's normal for you because this is all you've known the part where you start sort of quote-unquote rebelling or start noticing really that there's something going on is when you see that your friends and their family members don't act the way that yours does or your boyfriend or your fiance or your husband I'm, I'm talking about partners you know, you go and you actually see their family and they're loving and caring and they're not trying to sabotage you or, you know, overstep your boundaries. They actually listen to each other. They actually look like they're having a nice time and enjoy each other's company. And you're like, wait a minute, that's not my family. And my family, we're always at odds. My brother tells my mom everything that I'm up to, even though he pretends that he's going to keep it a secret. You know, my mom blows up at every single thing. My mom, you know, doesn't respect that I, you know, want a little bit of privacy and she goes through all my stuff or she takes another level where she finds out all the information about me and she uses that to blackmail me. So that's really tough. That's a really tough 
awakening to come out of and say, whoa, okay, so I've known about stranger danger all my life and people who might hurt me, but you never expect it to be your own family. Mm-hmm. And when did you realize maybe that it was um, not healthy? <laughs> I, I, I know I laughed a little bit. Sorry about that. But humor for coping. <laughs> Many people do. Of course. I always never fit in my own family. I always, since I was a little girl, I was parentified. So I always had to take care of siblings. I always had to make sure my mom was okay because her mental health was all, all over the place. So I always knew something wasn't right. And I always saw other kids with their moms. And I was always like, I don't have that relationship with my own or with my dad. So pretty early on, I started becoming resilient on my own. So I started building up things where I was like, I can't trust these people. So I've always had an inkling about it. But it actually all came to a head about three years ago. Three years ago, I was like, oh, this is just narcissism. So I actually had the vocabulary to back that up. Mm -hmm. And so do you think at that point, for someone else too, who may be experiencing that as well, do you think it's more common for people to say, okay, I'm going to start setting boundaries or to say, okay, I can't, I can't even get to this person. Like, how do you think you felt and how has that changed? So what happens is with a lot of us is that we do the, we try to fix a relationship. We try to blame ourselves. We try different things, right? Like we had to be the problem, but I always tell people that abuse is not conflict. And you're going to be turning yourself out, setting boundaries, thinking, oh, my gosh, this is going to work. I'm going to not react to the abuse anymore. You know, I'm going to treat them calmly. I'm going to take them out to dinner. I'm going to try to, like, calm the situation down. But abuse is not conflict. And with a narcissistic person, what they like to say is that you're having a disagreement. You're having a conflict. And in reality, it's abuse. It's not conflict. It's abuse. That's really interesting, that kind of situation where, if anything, you're trying to get to the person. And if anything, they make it feel like you're crazy. So it's almost like gaslighting. Would you um, relate to that? Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely gaslighting. And that's the thing. When you start setting help, everybody, when they first read about boundaries, they're like, oh, my gosh, finally, something, a healthy tool that I can implement in my life, right? But what happens is when you start setting healthy boundaries with a narcissistic person, you can't. You just point blank can't. They're going to actually figure out a way to turn it around, hurt you with your own boundary. Or you know what? Sometimes they agree. Sometimes they sit there and they're like, you know what? You have a point. I'll respect your boundary. I won't call you after 8 p.m. I know that you're going to sleep. And then the next day they're going to call you after 8 p.m. And you're like, didn't we just have this like amazing conversation yesterday? Oh, I forgot. So it's complete disregard for your well-being, your boundaries, and they'll do anything to step all all over that line. They love boundaries because they're like, oh, I can mess with her here. This is a perfect way for me to mess with her. These people are not healthy people. When you set a boundary with another healthy person or somebody who's trying to grow, they respect that. They're like, oh, 8 p.m. Okay, I won't call you then. I, I see where you're coming from and I understand it. With a person who is narcissistic, they don't take kindly to you setting boundaries. Mm-hmm. How do you deal, at least if you're living with someone like that, what advice would you give to someone who can't just you know go to their apartment or go out if they live in that kind of um, 
situation, what advice would you give to them? So now more than ever, this advice is, it's really relatable because a lot of people are in quarantine with their, you know, abusive partner, or maybe they're at home, or maybe they have a, you know, toxic roommate or whatever it may be, and they can't leave. But my advice to you is don't gaslight yourself, because we're talking about gaslighting and how people gaslight you. But at the same time, this is something that you start doing to yourself. So you start making excuses and brainwashing yourself. Don't do that. That's like the worst thing you could do. For me is start paying attention to, you know what the signs are, you know the red flags, you know what they're doing to you. Keep that in mind. So the thing that you could do is maybe start going low contact or gray rock. So use this time to your advantage. If you're not living with them, start limiting your phone calls. Start limiting your interactions with them. Start setting boundaries. And this is the perfect time to do this. If you do live with them, please do not gaslight yourself into staying in that relationship for longer. Start making a plan and say, okay, I know the situation that I'm in. This is narcissism. This is not a healthy relationship for me. I do not want to live like this the rest of my life. Make a plan. Try to figure out whatever that plan may be and get out when this this whole thing is over. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And just to quickly summarize gaslighting for anyone who doesn't know, it's, you know, a form of psychological manipulation. And I don't know if you want to add on anything to that as well. Yeah, gaslighting is just one of those things that is the most hurtful thing that you can do to somebody when they're in an abusive relationship. Because you not only experience gaslighting from your abuser, you will experience gaslighting from people who do not understand what you're going through. So you can get gaslit by a therapist. You can get gaslit by a friend. Because let's say you open up to your friend and you're like, listen, this is what I'm going through. And I don't know what to do. If your friend doesn't have any knowledge of narcissism or she's very permissive in her own life, she might be like, oh, it's not a big deal. Everybody does that. That's another form of secondhand gaslighting. And that's re-traumatizing to somebody who's trying to find safety in another person outside of their abusive relationship. That actually hinders their growth and their healing. Mm -hmm. And that's so interesting because I think we don't classify it as that. But it's, it's so true. And obviously, I don't think it's people's intention all the time. They try to be helpful. But it's funny that you can feel more alone when people try to devalue your feelings. You know, they say, well, you'll get through it or it's not a big deal or it'll be OK. And if anything, sometimes that can make you feel worse because it's saying you're not you're not understanding what I'm going through and you're not validating these emotions I'm experiencing. So do you think that's something you've experienced, like even telling maybe friends who grew up in a different type of household who may not get it and they just brush it off? And did you experience that growing up? Um, well, <laughs> growing up, I experienced a bunch of things. But <laughs> the, the truth of the matter is, is I think personally, whenever I, you know, talk to other people and I also counsel other people and I let them know that, if something makes you uncomfortable and you are trying to give that platitude right away of let it go, it's going to be okay, forgiveness, all this stuff, right? You really don't know what the other person's going through. And if they're opening up to you and that makes you feel uncomfortable, I think the way to go is by being honest. And what does honesty look like? Just sit down and say, you know what? You're my really good friend. I don't have any advice for you. 
but I think that you should seek X, Y, Z help here. This is a great book that I saw, or, you know, this is a, I cannot give you advice right now. I think honesty is the best way to move forward because a lot of people, you know, they put that expert hat on and some things need to be left to other people. That's my opinion. Mm -hmm. I completely agree. And I think there's no shame in saying, you know, I love you and I'm here for you, but I think someone could give better advice or I'm not exactly sure how to help you in this. And they say it too. They say like, oh, I've been through something or, oh my gosh, my ex-boyfriend, they did the same thing. And and in reality, you're comparing apples to oranges. If you had a regular breakup with your ex-boyfriend who maybe took your PS4 and you find that as an attack versus somebody who's getting gaslit on a day-to-day basis, apples to oranges is not the same thing. When it comes to what we see in the media about abusive relationships or, you know, we see it to the extreme where we think, okay, well, you're not getting beaten up every day or it's not physical or it's not like crazy attacks all the time, but people don't realize that it can be so subtle. And so I'm curious as to how you were able to, you know, I know you talked about um, seeing other friends and people's environments that they grew up in and how it was maybe different, but how, when were you really able to tell okay, this is, this is not healthy. Like I know we talked about it, but do you think growing up you were able to tell as much or you were in denial about it's hard? Not at all. I mean, I had my first, like speaking personally, again, this is, you know, everybody's experience looks different, but personally for me, I had my big breakthrough and I always call it my spiritual awakening, but I had my big breakthrough when I was going through grad school and I realized that all the tools that I was picking up were not working at all. And they were all healthy coping tools that you should be able to do with everybody else. I mean, I was implementing them in my daily life and the feedback was amazing. All my relationships were actually blooming. But when I would apply the same healthy tools to, you know, my narcissistic math family members, it would just blow up and get worse. So then I started realizing, okay, wait there's something going on here. There's something deeper that than conflict, honestly, because my background is, um, I have a master's in conflict resolution. So I really tried my hardest to apply all the tools to my own narcissistic family members. And that's where the disconnect was. Um, the healthy coping skills that you have with anybody else, they don't apply to them. Mm-hmm. I admire you very much for starting your page and doing what you do because I think it's it's very common for people to take this on and pass it on through generations. I I do admire that you are trying to better yourself in that way and realize that you don't have to pass that on to your children and continue to do so. And so do you think you've reflected on that, even just the whole idea of generational trauma and abuse that may have even been passed down in past generations? Yeah. So one of my biggest awakenings, even before I went no contact, so I went no contact three years ago, but even before that, when I was pregnant, I made it like my mission to not surround my own children with certain behaviors that I would see. And that was more important to me. Like everybody would parent the same way and they would normalize the way of parenting, which is fine. Everybody can parent however they want. But that was not something that was in the cards for me. I 
it was really hard for me to get pregnant with the twins. That I was like, if I'm gonna bring children in these in this world, because I never wanted to bring in, I never wanted to get married or bring children into this world. But I was like, if I am going to bring children into this world, I'm not going to parent them this way. So I had already like an idea that I didn't want to like subject myself to that. So every time somebody would give me advice, I'd be like, thank you, but no, thank you. I know what I'm doing with my kids. So. You know, for parents who are out there who are listening right now and they're like, well, you know, I have this like mother-in-law who always comes over and she tries to tell me what to do. Yeah, that's a that's a relationship you need strict boundaries from and you need your husband's help. I'm very strong in the family that you've created with your husband needs to be everybody needs to be on the same page. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I agree that, you know, the partners need to agree and I think it's really bad when, especially in front of a kid, when both parents can't agree on something and then the kid doesn't really know who to listen to. So I, I definitely agree with that. And so do you think it has been helpful to simply even acknowledge that this was trauma for you because it's easy to, you know, pretend like it didn't happen or try to avoid it or distract yourself or move on. But I think no matter what, these deep core wounds that we have will come out in some way. And so how do you think it's been for you to simply even acknowledge that this is serious, this was serious and is something that really affected you? Well, personally, how to come to terms with a whole, whole lot, right? Um, being gaslit most of my life where, and by gaslit when you're a child is, no, 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 that didn't really happen, sweetie, you know, or you bring up something you're like, hey, you know, last week you told me this. No, no, I didn't. I never said that. So when you've been gaslit all your life, like with quotes like that, it's really hard for you not to do that to yourself later on down the road. And I really had to come to terms with either I start really healing and figuring this stuff out and getting very comfortable with vocabulary, which a lot of people, and I understand they can't do just because when you hear, oh my gosh, you know, my mom is narcissistic or you hear, oh my gosh, my mom has been gaslighting me all my life. That's really hard to come. You know, I have trauma. I have actual trauma from my grandparents. Whoa, that's really hard to come to terms with. But for me has been life saving, honestly, because now I can name it. When you there's an elephant in the room, you don't know what it is. You're like, oh, I know the, the air is tense. I don't know what's going on. I'm walking on eggshells. Now I have an actual terminology to describe what I was feeling. And that actually is more empowering than anything else. So if anything comes out of this podcast is to let people know that you need to name what you're dealing with. And that's actually healing. Mm -hmm. And what would you say to someone who maybe grew up with someone who'd gaslight them or a narcissist or just any kind of abuse and they feel like it's their fault? And even though we can say, of course, it's not like when you're in that, it can you know, how do you know when you're a child and you're growing up if and they make you feel like it's your fault your whole life? So what would you say to someone who still maybe believes that? If they believe it, I would say you need to go and seek some extra help. Somebody that you can talk to, somebody who's safe, somebody who can understand what you're going through because you need to talk it out. Somebody who still thinks that it's their fault needs to come and see somebody who does what I do. 
Mm-hmm. And so what do you do when you get, if if you do, um, I don't want to assume, but for someone who may get back in that mindset of questioning everything, which is something I think is common with gaslighting, even if it's far after, to think, okay, well, maybe I did this or he or she was right about this. Um, what do you do in those moments that kind of take you back to your childhood? So that's why this, the, exactly why it's so important to be working with somebody because if you have that type of personality where you take a couple step forwards and a few step back, you're always going to be battling with this. And it's just so important, especially right during your peak time at a recovery rate, make sure that you're working with somebody who you trust, that you have a safe support group of more than one person. And I'm curious as to um, your thoughts on communicating with your inner child. Do you believe in communicating with your inner child in those moments and kind of going back to when you maybe felt inadequate and um, not as great about yourself? Yes. So communicating with your inner child is very important, especially if you've never felt like you there's a lot of people you talk to and they're like, I've never felt like a child. I don't know what that's like. So I talk to them and... For me personally, the best part of getting in touch with my own inner child, because I never knew what that was, was having my own children. So as soon as they were born, I sort of started experiencing what they were experiencing through their eyes. And that was actually very healing for me. If you don't have your own children, because, you know, you just don't, some some people don't, maybe through a nephew or maybe through your friends, you know, you can go and have fun or take them out for ice cream and stuff like that. If you have difficulty getting in touch with your inner child because it's buried down there with a lot of trauma, that's one way to just distract yourself and do something fun. Mm-hmm. And if you don't mind sharing, how can someone in a very similar situation, for example, who has kids, but maybe they've had a similar situation with their own parents, how do you communicate that to your kids if they ever ask about their grandparents or they're curious in that way? Yeah, I always get this question. This is like one of my top asked questions is it depends how old the kid is, first of all. So you have to take into consideration how old they are, their maturity level, if they're going to be understanding of certain things. If they're a toddler, then, you know, they ask, where's, you know, um, grandma or grandpa and grandma and grandpa aren't around yet. Oh, you know, whatever answer you might give them. Oh, we're not seeing them right now. Oh, we'll see them some other time. Or I'm not saying lie to your kid, but also just be conscious of what information you're giving them. If they're a little bit older, they're six, seven, and they are used to seeing their grandparents, but they also see how they treat you. Just be honest with them and say, you know, I'm taking a little break from grandma and grandpa at the moment. They're not going to be coming around. I have real conversation with my twins. They're nine years old and they know what's going on of it. They don't know, you know, generational. If I start talking about generational trauma, their eyes are going to get over. <laughs> but I try to talk to them the best way they they know how. Like right now is, hey, you know, do you have a friend that doesn't treat you very well? Well, you know, your aunt doesn't treat me very well and they didn't treat you very well either so that's why we don't talk to them and they live in a different state okay that's good enough they go running they go play (laughs) Mm -hmm. no that's great I I completely agree I think it's important to also just be aware of how old they are and also be honest with them in that way so 
Um, that's important. And I want to ask you um, about the healing process in general. I think it's it's very common, although we are different people than our parents and we can be our own, we may have moments of, you know, not even realizing we say something similar that our mom said or dad said. And so, and we might stop ourselves and notice it. And the fact that we're aware of that is already an amazing first step. And so how important do you believe it is to be patient with yourself through that healing process? If you take a step back or you slip up, um, what are your thoughts on that? I always tell people when you hear the healing process, it seems like there's a start and an end to it, right? And what I like to tell people is that they've been healing all their life. They just haven't realized it yet. And they're going to continue to heal all their life. Right now, the difference is that you're becoming more self-aware of what's going on versus you living in autopilot. So through your whole entire life, what you need to do is start practicing becoming more self-aware of what's going on, what your triggers are, what, how, what are your reactions to the trigger? And then also becoming more open and accepting of, hey, you know what? I'm not having a good month. Maybe I should go and reach out and talk to somebody. Or maybe I should go and call my friend that I always have these deep conversations with and she doesn't judge me. Um, things like that become more aware of what's going on because healing is forever. Because depending on whatever it is that happens in your life, you're going to need more self-care or more healing or more support during that certain time. And then you can go back and be normal and you know how to self-regulate and co-regulate. The the whole thing is just become aware of when you need to self-regulate and what that looks like and when you need to co-regulate and what that looks like. Mm -hmm. And I want to go back to when you said that abuse is not conflict, it's abuse and which I completely agree with, but many people in that situation, you know, they can't tell the difference or they don't know any better or they don't even have other examples of um, healthy family dynamics or relationships. And I think a lot of people in those scenarios fall into playing the role of save the savior and saving that person. And I can fix them. You know, I need to take care of them. And then that obviously leads into maybe future relationships. And so what would you tell someone who thinks, you know, I, I can fix them. I'm the one who needs to save them. I can cure them kind of thing, as opposed to they need to do that on their own. Mm -hmm. So right there, when somebody told me that I automatically say you're being codependent. I'm very honest and I don't sugarcoat a lot of things. We, when we try to save and put on that cape and go above and beyond thinking, oh, we're going to be the rescuer. You're not doing that for yourself. You're doing that for your ego. And we need to be honest about what an abusive relationship really looks like on a day-to-day -day basis. It's not law and order SVU. Those are extreme cases. We need to talk about the little things, the disrespect, you crying in the shower because you can't be crying in front of their face. You feel frustrated. So you work a little overtime to stay at work because you don't know, you don't want to go home and face that person. Um, if you see their phone, their name pop up on the phone or the text message, you're like, oh, what do they want? If all your interactions are negative and you feel drained after that 15 minute phone call, you got to look into those relationships. I think treating relationships past the label will help a lot of people because a lot of people get attached to, oh, I love them. I love them. 
I could fix them. I could rescue them. But in reality, what comes first in any relationship besides the label is safety and trust and respect, then love. So I think mm-hmm. we gotta like flip that and say, do I feel safe? Do I feel respected? Do I feel like this is a relationship I could be myself in? If you're getting a lot of no's, then you got to start looking into your relationships. Mm-hmm. And that's so true because often it's not so obvious to tell because it's not just these behaviors and then it's all negative. Often this is like sugar-coated with love and I care. It's because I love you and I care for you. And so people start to believe that that's what love equals to. And that's what it looks like. And so I I completely agree with that. And so overall, I think it's it's easy to for people, you know, to become codependent in that situation or to kind of depend on love from someone else. And I think it's easy for gaslighters to make others feel like, you know, you need to work for my love kind of thing. And so I'm curious now as to self-love, what does self-love look like to you? So let's talk, let's go back and talk a little bit about codependency because I feel like it gets a bad rap. Every time I mention codependency, people literally attack me online. But I want to say that codependency is actually a life-saving tool that a lot of people pick up. It's really that simple. What's going on is that your environment was so chaotic that in order for you to survive in your environment or still survive, you become codependent. You start, you know, people pleasing, not rattling cages. You start analyzing the other person's behavior. You actually are very smart and you're like, oh, if I say this, this is going to set them off. If I do this, this is going to set them off. So let me do this instead. And that this instead is people pleasing or codependency of, hey, let me bring you a sandwich so they can calm down and regulate. You're actually working on helping somebody else self-regulate all the time versus you self-regulating yourself. Mm -hmm. I completely agree with those triggers. It can be exhausting, I feel like, to say, okay, don't, you know, step on this time bomb or mess this situation up, you know? Completely agree that codependency can be a survival mode uh, mechanism. And it's it's not something to be ashamed of because people, you know, sometimes you don't really have a choice. That's the best you can do to get through it. Set over the word codependency because it's been associated with AA and Adderall where it's like, oh, drugs, you're giving drugs and alcohol to somebody. But you have to see it a little bit deeper and process the shame that comes in underneath that word and not take it as a trigger. Um, but through exploration and looking at your self-love, which you just mentioned self-love is it it can be very difficult for people who don't know what love is for real. So when you mention self-love, people kind of are like, oh, what does that look like? And they're drawing blanks all the time. Mm -hmm. And so for someone who didn't grow up with that example of even just like a healthy relationship dynamic, whether it was between their parents or between a parent and child or, you know, um, two other family members, whatever it is. And they're maybe even going into um, a new relationship or friendships and they don't know what that looks like. What um, tips would you give to them to kind of explore what a healthy dynamic looks like? So when you start looking into self-love and self-exploration and stuff like that, I think start looking at it through curious eyes, through this is unknown for me, because for a lot of people, it is unknown. And it's actually very brave 
to start looking into different relationships around you and see what you can take and what you could leave, right? So it's all about becoming more self-aware of, oh, I like their dynamic. Maybe I could, you know, look into that more. Or, you know, let me set a boundary with my close friend that I know it's a a safe relationship. And let me start getting my feet wet doing that. It's, It's all about baby steps. It's all about trial and error and seeing what works for you and what doesn't. Because for people who, like you mentioned, don't grow up with uh, unconditional love for real, it's really scary to try some of these healthier uh, coping mechanisms that you're supposed to be implementing into your life. And this is why having that you know, support system is so important because This is the first time that you're going to be brave and trying something new. So you need validation. A lot of people are like, oh, no, you don't need external validation. But in reality, for victims of abuse and survivors of abuse, you do need external validation and you need a lot of support. Definitely. And I think um, a lot of people do experience that guilt, especially if it's someone close to them. Um, so I'm, if you don't mind sharing, did you experience that with loved ones? Maybe saying you need to talk to your mom, you need to do this and kind of like when you set boundaries with your mother and maybe other people were pushing you to, um, communicate with her and not respect that. And what are some, um, ways to deal with that and kind of let other people know to respect your boundaries too? When I first started, um, setting healthy boundaries, that wasn't respected. Just like I mentioned earlier, um, it was really hard and it, it was really hard and a very disconcerting time because I was just at odds of why it wasn't working. I was trying my hardest and why didn't it work? Like I love these people more than anybody else in this earth and I wanted nothing more than to have a healthy relationship. But for me, the need of having a, a healthy relationship superseded the fact that I was in an abusive relationship. So I had to come to terms with This is not a relationship I'm ever going to have a healthy relationship from. I have to get very accustomed to getting disrespected and um, mistreated and abused. So if I want to stay in this relationship, I have to be okay with the fact that other people are going to be mistreating me for the rest of my life. And that's something that I wasn't able to compromise on. So I had to like say, okay, the need for me to have healthier relationships supersedes that and how to come to terms with that. So anybody else who would approach me and say, oh, but it's X, Y, Z, or you treat your family bad, or I can't believe you're ghosting all of us because they call it ghosting. Um, I would say, no, this is not a matter that I'm able to discuss with you or want to have a conversation with you. And I had to be, I had to come to terms with, I needed to block some people first. For me, my mental health came first. At some point, I decided to prioritize my mental health, my sanity, my well-being, for my kids and myself. Mm-hmm. And do you think grief was part of that process? Because even though obviously you're not losing someone physically in that sense of their passing away, it's, you know, you're still losing maybe an idea you had or what you wish could have been kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Um, that's why I always say like no context is step one. And we have to discuss a lot of things that come into it. Then grief comes in and you have to process your grief. And as a lot of people know who work with grief um, experts, you can't go through grief alone. And it's really, it's even harder for people who are going through grief and the person that they're grieving is alive. 
So you need a lot of support. You need a lot of extra help. You need a lot of safe relationships to go through any of those. And so what last words would you give to someone who is maybe living in a household with a narcissist or in an abusive relationship, um, whether it is family or partner or friend, and they feel like they're stuck and they maybe don't feel as hopeful about what's to come, um, what would you tell them? I would tell them that right now it feels like you're the only one, but I want to reassure you that you're not. You're not the only one. There's so many people that are going through all the spectrum of, you know, either grieving or first realizing that they're just in this relationship, you can absolutely put yourself first, put your mental health first and do something to benefit you because it's not selfish. It's actually very selfless. And everybody else around you who is a healthy relationship, and you can't see that right now because the unhealthy relationship supersedes all of that, Eventually, you're going to be able to see all the great positive relationships, including the relationship you have with yourself. So look inside. You're there and you'll be able to come out of this because your resilience is there. You can do it. You've gone through so many other hard things that this, while it's really hard, you can still make it out. Mm -hmm. And so overall, this show is about living your most authentic life. And that means something different for everyone. And it's definitely, you know, I think a lot of people glamorize self-exploration and self-discovery when in reality it comes with pain. It comes with embracing all the hardship. And, you know, like you said, the healing process is not linear. So I want to ask you now, what does living your most authentic life mean to you? Yeah, so it means freedom for me. Ah, oh, it's relief. It's like I can actually be myself and I'm not going to get criticized or hurt or disrespected. And I actually know what some of my relationships really are. I, not everybody who's an acquaintance, I bring them into my inner circle. It's actually really nice and I feel more free and able to express myself more than ever. Because I don't have those worries about, oh my gosh, I'm going to see this and it's going to get criticized or... You know, they're going to be talking about me tomorrow or anything like that. I, I could actually go somewhere and have a good time. And that makes me feel the best I have ever felt in years. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm so glad from, you know, from you being on the show, I so appreciate your vulnerability. And it's inspiring to see where you are. Um, and it gives hope, I think, to a lot of people that they can come out of the other side and work through it in a positive way, too. So thank you for being here. And I want to lastly ask you, I know it's such an unpredictable time, of course, with everything going on. But overall, what's coming up next for you and your work and where can listeners give you a follow and um, maybe work with you? Yeah, so I actually coach a lot of people. I have um different sessions if you guys want to go on the blacksheepsurvives.com i teach all about boundaries we talk about generational abuse and um i'm very very excited what's new for my business i really enjoy doing what i do i'm a coach by choice i love what i do and i actually am waiting to get into the phd program for august for conflict resolution so i can keep going that's incredible. Congratulations. And I know your work will only get better from here. So thank you so much for being here, Oksana. I, I really appreciate it and hope you stay safe. Thanks, Sarah. You too.
Thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of this episode. And thank you for being here. I know some of these topics can be hard to hear and can maybe trigger something in you. And I just want you to know that whatever you're feeling right now is valid because we're all working through our wounds. We're all, you know, having some realizations and trying to understand where we come from, why we are the way we are, and how we can improve. One thing that really stuck with me from this interview is when Roxana in general mentioned that she didn't even know, you know, that certain behaviors were unhealthy and toxic. When you grow up around a certain environment, you start to believe that that's what's, you know, that's just normal for you. Even if it isn't necessarily healthy, how would you know? Because that's that's what you know. It's the bubble you've lived in. And so when you leave that kind of environment, I think in the future or you see other relationships, you see other families, you may start to realize, oh, this isn't normal. This is not necessarily normal because I guess it is your normal in that time, at that time, but it isn't healthy. And that can be a huge breakthrough for so many people because when you're convinced that, for example, with this episode specifically, it's on parents and for Roxana, it's her mother. I also did two more interviews on narcissism and similar topics, but they're very different stories. Another one is actually on their parent as well, but another one will be on relationships and partners and friends and just overall dealing with a narcissist. But this episode I wanted to start off with because it hits home and I think many of us won't even realize, oh, this may be, this may sound like someone I know in my life, even if it isn't a parent. But we get so used to a certain kind of behavior or treatment that once we think, oh, this isn't okay, it like blows our mind. Sometimes we don't accept it. And so I admire Roxana tremendously for moving forward. Her resilience is incredible. And, you know, it's not easy. Like she said, the healing process isn't so simple. It's not like now you'll be the perfect parent to your kids and you won't pass on those wounds or anything. We're all working through these unresolved issues we have and working through the pain and it's a lifelong process healing is a lifelong process and we have to be compassionate with ourselves we have to practice self-compassion and realize that we have years of limiting beliefs we have to work through and reprogramming to do it's not like it's going to change after one self-help book or you know it's not going to be so simple but we have to put in the work every day and Roxana does that she expresses how you know it's tough it can be painful when you grew up in that kind of environment or if you were in you know a relationship with someone who could be considered a narcissist or a friendship whatever it is and you're getting out of that it's tough but you can get through it you may be realizing some stuff right now i hope you can be gentle with yourself i hope you're not hard on yourself let me know what you've been able to take away and if this is something you can relate to. And if you do have your mother in your life and you have a close relationship with her, that's something to celebrate too. Be You know, I love my mom and we obviously have our issues, but I love her and I'm so thankful for her. And I know how lucky I am for that because a lot of people don't have that. And I'm sending love to all of you. So if you'd like to follow Roxana, she has great content out there on her Instagram page. That's at the Black Sheep Survives. And you can also work with her or just follow her work at theblacksheepsurvives.com. So don't forget to follow at Trust and Thrive on Instagram so you can check out all the upcoming Insta Lives coming to you. You can also follow my personal Instagram at tara.mont and all my other info, my email, my website, and Roxana's information will be in the description of this episode. And if you want to leave a rating and a review on Apple iTunes, 
that would mean the world. I feel like there have been so many new listeners recently, and I want to know what you think. I want to hear your feedback. So it would really help out if you would leave a star rating and or review. It takes a minute or two, depending on what you want to say. I appreciate any feedback. So I'm sending love to you all, and I will catch you all next Thrive Thursday. Thursday.